0: Thanks for listening to ITRIS, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to uh, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 6. We have started a a series of messages on the book of Revelation. We're calling it uh, Jesus Reveals. And uh, uh, the thing about the book of Revelation is that uh, the book of Revelation is about justice. You know, you hear so much about justice these days. And uh, you're just wondering, when is justice really going to be served? I mean, when is this group who's been wronged going to get their deserve, what they deserve? And, and how is justice going to be meted out? Well, you know, as, as valid as, as some of those situations might truly be, there, there's a wrong. There is, there is someone who deserves justice who's far more worthy than any in part, that is part of this world. And that is that God deserves justice. Jesus Christ deserves justice. And when we get to this passage today, we're going to see God start to enact that justice. We're going to see God start to, to uh, uh, make things right. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at chapter 6 of Revelation. Now, for the last two weeks, We have looked at Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, which basically have been this vision that the Apostle John saw when he was an old, old man imprisoned on the island of Patmos, and uh, he's the last surviving apostle of Jesus Christ, and God revealed to him what was going to happen, how he was going to enact justice, how he, God, was going to make all things right. And and in chapter 4, we, we saw this. We saw John had this vision and there was a door and he was invited, really commanded to go through that door. And there, he entered into the throne room of God. And he saw God sitting on his throne and there were these four living creatures surrounding that throne. And they were just awesome. They had six wings and four faces and, and just, just magnificent. And then there was an outer circle with 24 elders. And, and then beyond that, there was just this host of beings, angels and humans that were just praising God. And, and then in chapter five, we saw that, that John kind of zeroed in on, the Father, sitting on that throne, and he saw in the hand of the Father a scroll. My translation calls it a book, but this kind of a book was not invented till about two or three hundred years after Christ. At that time, all written material was in a form of a scroll. So, so really, it's a better understood as a scroll. There was a scroll sitting in the hand In the open hand of the Father sitting on that throne, and no one was qualified to open the scroll. The scroll was sealed up with seven seals. Very, very important documents were always sealed. And sometimes they'd seal them with seven seals to kind of indicate this, you know, this is definitely not supposed to be opened by just any old person. This is supposed to be opened by the person who is qualified to be to open it. No one could open it. But then John saw Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, as a lamb who had been slain, but obviously raised.
1: He alone was qualified to take the scroll and open it. And so
0: the lamb comes forward, takes the scroll from the one sitting on the throne, and that's where we stopped last week. Well, I want to read to you chapter 6. Now, one of the things I've been doing here is is reading the book of Revelation to you because Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 says, blessed is he who reads, and so I want that blessing, and blessed are those who hear, I want you guys to have that blessing, the word of God. As it's written in the book of Revelation. So let me just read for you Revelation chapter 6. So the Lamb has taken the scroll, and John says in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud thund- voice of thunder, Come. And I looked. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he broke the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come. And another, a red horse, went out to him who sat on it. It was granted to him to take peace from the earth and that men should slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. And when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard, as it were, a, loud, a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts three-quarters uh, of, of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil or the, and the wine. And when he broke the fourth seal, I heard a, the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with them, and authority was given to them over the fourth, over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar of the saint of the uh, underneath the altar, the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, and because of the testimony which they maintained. And when they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they
1: had been should be completed also. And at verse 12, he says, And I looked
0: when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth made, with, made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its, its unripe figs when, ble- when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the presence of him who's sitting on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath
1: has come. And who is able to stand? That's where we're going to stop. You know, before we walk through this,
0: what I want you to see here is that we're going to see the wrath of God starting to be poured out on humanity, on the earth. But before we get to that, I just want to make some observations. I'm just going to put them all up on the, on the screen here, and if you want to write them down, or better yet, you could take a picture of that just to get them so you don't have to write so much. But just four things, I think, that are really worth getting before we walk through this passage here. Here's the first one. These judgments haven't yet occurred. They're they're future. Uh, It's obvious when you read this passage of Scripture, this was future to John, and it's still future to us. There's never been a time in the 1930 years since John saw this and wrote it down that these kinds of things have happened. This is prophecy that is still yet to be fulfilled. Now, there's some, you know, in the last 40, 50 years, some have said, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is applying to Nero and the, the horrible things that happened in about 60 A.D. up to about 70 A.D., culminating with the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, don't really think that's what's going on here. Uh, for one thing, th- there's very, very little evidence that would show that the book was even written before that. That would say, well, the book had to be written about 55 A.D., when John was a relatively young man, whereas all the evidence is pointing to the fact that John was an old guy, all the other apostles had died, and he's writing this in 90 or 95. So he's writing it 20, 25 years after Nero did all of his business. So this, this stuff is future. Second observation I want you to remember just before we go in and walk through it is this is Jesus doing it. He's the one breaking the scrolls. He's the one revealing this stuff. He's the one executing this stuff. I think sometimes we we think about the end times and the catastrophes that we see in this book and other books and stuff like that, and it's like, man, everything just flies apart. It's all out of control. Not true. Jesus Christ is doing this. This is intentional on his part. And that's going to take some, some real mature thinking because we're sitting there and saying, man, some of this stuff is really evil. It's horrible. And how in the world can a holy, righteous God work and utilize evil without himself getting tainted by that evil? Well, that's above my pay grade, and it's all above your pay grade, too. We're, we're just not going to know that, uh, until we get to heaven, how that even works, if God chooses to work to to do it. But this is just another illustration of God utilizing evil without being evil. Because there's some stuff here that, you know, it's terrible. But that's what God is enacting. That's what Jesus is enacting. Jesus is intentionally breaking these scrolls to reveal this stuff and ex- execute this stuff. Here's the, the third thing I want you to get. Did you notice, and I tried to emphasize it as I was reading it, the four living creatures. Now, th- these, these have got to be like the highest order of the angelic beings. You know, these, these angels, these four living beings that are right there next to the, to the throne of God. To guard his holiness, to, to guard his glory and all the other things. I mean, the highest of the angelic beings, what do they say when these scrolls get when these seals get broken? They say, Come. It's like about time. You know, I, this, and, and I, I just want you to think about that. The wisdom of heaven wants God's justice to be served. And you know what, I think if we wanted to think like heaven, we'd want that. Not not in a vengeful way, boy, I wish God would get those people. I can't wait till he slaughters them. But we should want, like those angels want, we want God's justice to be served. We want God's name to be glorified. We want Jesus to be lifted up. And that's what these guys are saying when they say, come, let's do this, get it going. And then here's the last one, and, and I don't have time to really explain this. One of the things I'm planning on doing is, is on a Sunday night in January or February, because we're going to take a long time to go through the book of Revelation. I'm going to take a Sunday night just to explain to you how I think all of this fits into a timeline and pull in other passages like Matthew and Daniel and... Ezekiel and others. Uh, but let me just get to the punchline. I don't think we're here. I think, I think the, 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 the church, believers on this side of the cross, I think we've been raptured out. We're, we're now with the Lord. I think 1 Thessalonians 4 has occurred, and we're not here. When these seals are broken here on earth, and all of this stuff is meted out, We're now with the Lord already. We've been raptured. The the church mentioned a whole bunch in chapters two and three. Chapters one, two, and three church, 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 church. You never hear the word church. You never see any reference to the church from chapter four, verse one on. Man, you hear a ton about Israel. You hear a ton about the children of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these tribes, Judah, Naphtali, Ephraim, Manasseh, Zebulun, etc. But you don't hear anything about the church. Why? Because I don't think any of this stuff is applicable to us. We're gone. Now, the tragic thing is that those who have not trusted Christ are still here. That loved one you have that has not trusted Christ, that friend, that neighbor, that co worker, they're left behind. They're here. But you and I, if we've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, I think 1 Thessalonians 4 is our experience. The Lord Himself descends from heaven, and there's a shout, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ, rise, and then we who are alive and remain are caught up together to be with the Lord. And thus, we're always with him from then on. It's like John 14, the night before Jesus was crucified, after he'd had the last supper with the guys, and uh, he told them, I'm leaving. And they were all distraught. But what did he say? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus isn't coming to be with us. He's going to come and get us. We can go stay with him. That's the rapture. And so I'll talk more about that at another time. But I just want you just to as we walk through this, just to to, to know this is what's going on here on earth. That you, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior... You're with the Lord, and we'll be watching, perhaps, but not personally experiencing it. So let's walk through these six seals, and we're going to do it kind of quickly. But the first one he 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 breaks open. It there's a horse. This is verse two. There's a white horse, and he who sits on the horse has a bow, but notice he doesn't have any arrows but he's got a crown, so he's got authority, and he goes out conquering and to conquer. In other words, this is some kind of a leader. Now, initially, we look at it, and we're like, horses? I mean, you know, what what is that? Well, think about it. 1930 years ago, a horse was basically the equivalent of an F-35. You know, the fighter jet that's like the the best in the world that uh, they make down in Fort Worth? I mean, it's just think in terms of an F-35. This is a white F-35 that just
1: took off. And and he who is flying it, he's got all these abilities to conquer, but he doesn't need to
0: to, to do it by force. You know, okay, that's all it tells us, but we kind of can... Read back into what? What? What is this? Who is this guy? White? Um, Usually, white means good. So, is this a good guy that's going to get all this authority, or is this a bad guy that's pretending to be a good guy that's going to get all this authority? You take a couple of other passages of Scripture that kind of indicate that there's this bad guy that's pretending to be a good guy who's going to get a lot of authority. Revelation 13, Daniel 9, Daniel 11 and 12. Uh, I think this is the Antichrist. And it's referring to how at some point in the future, there's going to be this, this person with all kinds of authority that's just given to him. It's like this peaceful takeover of everything. He's conquering, but he's already conquered. He's got a bow, but he doesn't even have to use any arrows to get, that, to get what's going on there. So I think this first one is basically there's this conquering leader that moves to the center of the stage of world events. Look at verse 3. The second seal is broken open, and, and here comes another F-35, a red one, and this one has been given the authority to take peace from the earth, and so it's like things have been peaceful. You know, maybe this first horse, this first fighter pilot, he, he got all the peace, but now that pe- he got all that authority without, you know, war. But now, all of a sudden, there's all kinds of war and death and chaos going on. Uh, Maybe it's red because red kind of signifies a lot of blood. You know, I mean, he's got a great sword in his hand. And usually when you slice someone with a sword, never done it, hope never have to do it. But I would think they'd bleed a lot, you know, and maybe that's what the red thing is all about. So maybe that second one is, is, is just an absence of peace and the beginning of a lot of people being killed because of the lack of that peace. Here's what the third one is. It's basically a realignment of values. Massive inflation. Look at this. It starts in verse 5. He breaks the third one, and he sees a black... F-35, a black horse. And he who sat in it has a pair of scales in his hand. Now think about it, okay? What, what kind of scales are these? Is he just going to go around and make everyone weigh themselves, and we're all going to realize we gained five pounds during Thanksgiving? No, no. This is, this is those kind of scales, remember, that were, were this thing, and that's how you measured what you paid for something. You went to the market, and Oh, this thing is going to cost you this. And so they'd put a weight on this side that is that value, and then you had to put enough on this side. And when they balanced, the guy knew you were paying enough for whatever it was you were going to buy. Well, look at this. uh, You know, you're going to pay a a quart for uh, wheat or three quarts for some barley, a denarius. A denarius is basically a day's wage. So think about how much you make in a day that's what it's going to cost you for a loaf of bread or if you want real cheap stuff that nobody really wants to eat anyway because it's made of barley you can get three loaves of bread for your day's wage so how in the world are you going to take care of your mortgage and your gas and your utilities and all the other things you're spending everything you made in one day just to get a loaf of bread to feed your family you know, it's kind of interesting. It's like massive inflation. It's like all the values have been shifted. I remember my dad, my dad was a preacher. I remember my dad talking about this and he would talk about how things were going to be so bad, you know, during this time, it's going to cost you a dollar for a loaf of bread. And I was thinking, oh man, that would be terrible. And I think now the bread that Vicky and I like to buy from Sam's—that killer bread, y'all had that killer bread stuff. It is good stuff. I think it's about three fifty each. So I don't know. My dad's probably flipping uh, uh, turns there in his grave, you know, at the massive inflation. But, but there's going to be this massive inflation, and and the fact that he, you know, it, it's like there's an illustration of food costs that are going on, but also, you know, the fact that he's got the the scales in his in his hand. I, it's just like everything's value is going to be shifted. The things that are really important aren't going to be seen as important. The things that are really, really trivial, boy, that's going to be the things that people are stressing out over. And you know what? You're already seeing that. I mean, we're not just talking about inflation in terms of how many dollars it costs you to put, fill up your car or something like that anymore. But, uh, you know, there, there's a massive change. Realignment, if you will, of values. I mean, marriage, for example, I mean, devalued. Family and time with family, devalued. Things that, 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 that really should be trivial in comparison, those things are huge and powerful. And that's what we really put our time into. Things that are super important like relationships and purity and integrity and, and just time with the Lord and time with God's people, yeah, that, I can do without that. i got a lot of capital in the bank. I can pull some out. But, boy, i got to really be pursuing this hobby or that hobby or something else. So it's just this realignment of values. It's like people don't even know what's important and what's not important. Look at the next one there's this major loss of life. Now, now we're going go, uh, to go uh, to uh, verse 7. He says, when I broke the fourth seal, I heard that, that, that uh, when he broke the fourth seal, I heard the, the the living creature say, come. And I looked, and behold, there was an ashen horse. That word ashen, it kind of means that pale green, that putrid green. And, and the idea is it must be that it's just had so much death associated with it. His name was called Death, and Hades was following him. And remember, you know, we we talked about this the last couple times, these visions, you know, we all have weird visions, and things are not all there, and you're kind of looking for a lot of symbolism there. This is kind of one of those. It's like, here is Hades. Hades is where people went before the cross they, it's the place of the dead, and so here's Hades following along the F-35, you know, hoping he will kill a whole bunch so that he can get more customers in, and that's what's going on, and, and look at the quote at the very end of it, the end of verse 8, and authority was given to him over the fourth, over a fourth of the earth, okay, you can't do math in your head that a fourth translates into 25%. Authority is given to him to get a
1: 25% through the sword, famine, pestilence, or wild beasts.
0: Now, they estimate that there's now about 8 billion people on the face of the earth. A fourth, 25%, would be 2 billion. Essentially, what this one is, is through whatever's going on here, these four things: war, famine, pestilence, wild beast. Two billion people die. You know, we've kind of
1: divided the group into four. Uh, it's like all of those people just died. A lot. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That is huge.
0: Family of five, well, I can't do that math. Family of four, one guy's gone. That's what's going to be happening during that time. Now, look at the next two seals that he breaks, the fifth seal and the sixth seal. Uh, Interestingly, he doesn't tell us what those seals were, what the, 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 the travesty was. He just tells us more of the response, puts a focus on the response. Verse 9, I think what, what has happened is there is a dramatic increase in martyrdom for the faith. You know, there's always been people that have been killed because of their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Stephen, in the book of Acts, Acts 7, Stephen was killed because he was outspoken follower of Jesus Christ. That happened many, many times. You know, I grew up hearing about John and Betty Stamm, you know, in China, or Jim Elliott and Nate Saint down in uh, South America. You know, it's kind of rare. But in these days, there's going to be so much opposition to the cause of Christ that those that speak out will be killed. Many will be killed. And so look what he says there in verse 9. It says, when I broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out and they said, Lord, remember the whole thing's all about justice. How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they was giving them a white robe. And they were told, just, just cool your jets for a little longer. Just rest a little longer. Because there's going to be some more that are going to die. And then it'll be taken care of. But what's the judgment? What's going on? There's major opposition to the things of God. And then finally, let's skip down to verse 12. The sixth seal. So we've seen five open. Now we're going to see the sixth one open from this scroll. And, and with each seal, the scroll is able to be opened up a little bit more. And, and, and you see another detail of all this judgment that's being poured out. He said, I looked and uh, he broke the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. The sun became black. The moon turned to blood. The stars were falling in. um, and so forth. Verse 14, the sky was split like a scroll when it's rolled up. Mountains and islands were moved. Remember I said he's he's kind of putting an emphasis on the reaction of it all. Look at verse 15. How do people respond to all this catastrophe? I love the list here. Kings. Great men, commanders, the rich, the strong, slaves,
1: freemen. What do they do? Do they run to God? No.
0: Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Instead of running to God, they did just like the original parents did. They ran away from God. They go to the caves and the rocks of the mountain, and they say to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They don't want anything to do with God. You know, we all know as parents, the smartest thing we can teach our kids is to run towards their problems. Go go talk to that person, you know, work it out. I mean, it's stupid to run away from that teacher. It's stupid to run away from that coach. It's stupid to run away from that employer. Go talk to them. Well, what is human nature? Human nature says run away from. These people are running away from the ultimate. They're running away from God. Here is God who has poured out all of this stuff. By this time, there's been at least 2 billion people dead. And now there's this massive earthquake. And do they wake up and say, okay, God, what are you doing?
1: No, they don't want anything to do with him. They run away. Now, we've walked through this thing really quickly, but just take a look at that list.
0: That's some massive, massive destruction. And I know there's a whole bunch of symbolism there, but, but, you know, there's just no way in the world you can look at that and say that that's just kind of you know, a blimp that, you know, might be a rough time. It's like the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic was a piece of cake compared to this stuff. This is major times when there's major realignment of values. There's, there's, there's war, there's chaos, there's famine, there's pestilence. It's like death is, is
1: everywhere and it's, effect, and it's affecting everyone. And... and gets topped off with
0: this massive earthquake where mountains and islands and all kinds of things are happening in a horrible, horrible way. And what are people doing?
1: Generally speaking, they're running away. Look at the last verse, verse 17. This is kind
0: of how the story ends, at least this pause that we're going to take between now and next Sunday.
1: He asks this rhetorical question. Who's going to be able to make it? Who could make it? Who can survive this
0: stuff? Well, the answer is going to be in chapter 7. When we get to chapter 7 next week, we're going to see that it is the followers of Jesus Christ that make it. Because there's a little pause in uh, in the story, and he tells us about these witnesses that have been sealed and chosen to represent Jesus Christ and to go do something about what's going on there. It's the followers of Jesus Christ. You know, I always like to ask the question, okay, at the end, okay, so what? So what do you do with all this stuff? What do we do with it? Do we just sit and say, wow, glad I ain't here? You know, well, in a way, yes. We're not here because of what Jesus Christ did for us, not because we're so good and he wants to get us out of here. Uh, What do we do with this? I mean, I think we look at a couple things, and we see that God, quite frankly, wants to equip us for tragedy. God wants to equip us for, for hard times. Who can stand in a situation like this? Well, even when we haven't gotten to chapter 7 yet, when we do, we'll know the answer. It's the follower of Jesus Christ. That tells me, you know what, there isn't anything
1: that you and I can't stand against. Remember we talked a couple of months ago about the hope
0: that we have as believers. There isn't anything that should scare us to death that needs scare us to death. Now, we get scared all the time. I mean, life is horrible. I mean, you lose a job, you lose your health, bankruptcy, kids, parents. Yeah, all kinds of tragedy, all kinds of chaos, and, and sometimes it scares us to death. But the truth of the matter is, as a child of God, as a person who has been, who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, nothing needs scare us to death. God has infused in us that eternal life that provides us with that hope
1: that no matter what we wake up to tomorrow, God says, you can handle it. If you're here
0: today and you have trusted Jesus Christ, as personal Savior, this rhetorical question that's at the end, this ought to provide you with some incredible hope. Because John's looking at that and he's saying, oh my goodness, how in the world could anyone survive this? How could anyone endure this? And he's going to see in the next little phase of his vision that it's God's people.
1: God has provided you with the strength and tenacity to stay faithful. We don't always feel it. We don't know, certainly don't
0: always live it out. But God wants you to have that hope.
1: Because you know what? The wrath of God is being poured out because they had rejected
0: the wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus. See, when Jesus died on the cross for us, The wrath of God was poured out on sin. How did the Apostle Paul put it? 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us.
1: And God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. See, the reason I can
0: stand in the midst of trauma and pain and suffering, the reason you can stand in the midst of pain and suffering and trauma is because Jesus Christ is like that umbrella. He shields us by enduring it himself, the wrath of God. What these folks are getting is the unfiltered wrath of God. Because they did reject Christ. Because Christ is not their Savior. See, even though we're stopping in the middle of this, this vision and it's like, oh, man, that is, that, what a downer. Did this guy not know that this is the first Sunday of Advent and we're all supposed to be happy and joyous and sing holly jolly Christmas? I mean, no, th- this is wonderful news because this is all about hope for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior,
1: you have the hope of heaven. Jesus endured the wrath of God. He became
0: sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Does that mean we never have issues Does that mean we never endure hard times? No, God uses hard times all the time to teach us certain things. But what Jesus did was he shields us from the wrath of God. He became propitiation for our sins. He endured God's judgment so that we can have that eternal relationship with him. Do you have that relationship? Do you have that relationship with Jesus Christ where you have placed your faith and trust in Him, in Him alone, for salvation? Not your good marriage, not your good kids, not the nice check you put in the offering or intend to put in the offering, not the faithfulness you show to your employer,
1: but simple faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That's the so what. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the
0: lost. And if you're here today and you feel lost,
1: the real answer is trusting in the Prince of Peace who provides that peace with God Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we want to thank you for Jesus Christ.
0: And Father, I, again, just want to give us a
1: moment to uh, just talk individually, personally with you. And if you're here today and
0: you have not trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, I want to encourage you right now to trust in Him who said, I'm the way, the
1: truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. And if you are here today and you have trusted Christ, I want to encourage you to
0: embrace the hope that God has provided for us. Jesus endured the wrath so that we don't have to. He became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Father, we who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior We just want to say thank you. Father, we have seen a glimpse of a horrible future. But Father, I thank you that uh, we can stand in Jesus Christ. And in faith in what he's done on the cross of Calvary, we truly can stand before you. Not clothed in our righteousness, but clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that uh, you would just burn that truth into our hearts and our minds. It is only in Jesus Christ that we can stand. It's in his name we pray.